Let's begin with a prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity you have given us to worship you on this beautiful Sunday morning. And now, to hear your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do that we may obey faithfully our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as it is written in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, a Sunday in July is certainly an appropriate time to extol the virtues of work. But as with all good things in this good good world God created, even such a good thing as work can be abused and distorted through excess. You see, since early morning... Martha had been preparing for the dinner guest by cooking, cleaning, and getting everything in order. This was her house. She was the one who issued the dinner invitation. She ruled the roost, at least tried to, and she determined to make everything perfect. As she hustled about, an occasional flutter of excitement disturbed her seriousness. Smiling to herself, she had pictured the pleased look her guest would have on his face and imagined his words of praise for all her efforts. But now he was here. Her lovely daydreams were turning into nightmares. The table wasn't set, the drinks weren't poured, and the food was getting absolutely cold. And where was Mary, her thoughtless, lazy sister? She should be helping, but no, Mary was just sitting there listening to the guest. Well, she said, growing red-faced with anger, this was not fair. Martha is the one we pick on this morning. She has been captivated by work. She was distracted by much serving, as our scripture tells us. She was overdoing it. I can hear in all the frustration Martha repeating over and over again her favorite psalm. The Lord is my employer. I shall not rest. He makes me mow down the green pastures. He leads me to generators beside rapid water. He wears out my soul. He shoves me to committee meetings for my schedule's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of relaxation, I fear no chance of rest, for my feelings of guilt, they haunt me. Thy whip and thy goad, they confront me. 
Thou dost prepare a work table before me in the presence of my comrades. My workload overflows. Surely business and pressure will follow me all the days of my life, and I will run to and fro in the house of the Lord forever. That was the 23rd Psalm for workaholics. Are you familiar with this term? It was invented by the finest of Christian psychologists, a professor and author. Undoubtedly, you have heard of him, the late Dr. Wayne Oates. Workaholic was coined by Dr. Oates to describe someone who is addicted to work, an unhealthy, consuming desire to labor incessantly. Dr. Oates' conclusion is that people can be addicted to work and it can be just as destructive as other holisms. Workaholism is a little like alcoholism, for example. I am told that one test for knowing you are an alcoholic is if you hide some of it in those little places, around the house or the office, in the bottom of the filing cabinet, hidden under the seat in your car or truck, well, workaholics are the same sort of people. They manage to have a little work tucked away everywhere, a briefcase full of work home every night. If he or she sits down to read a book, it's probably going to be work-related. If he or she is spending time with a spouse or children, the cell phone and those text messages are never far away from their fingertips. I must confess a workaholic tendency in me. It all started on the dairy farm. For example, you probably don't know this, but I have on occasion practiced my sermon delivery in my car, going to hospital to hospital or to a visit. My only prayer is that if I have a wreck, Lord, please don't let it be with a Presbyterian. Now, Martha, of course, was an alcoholic, uh, a workaholic, excuse me. Picture this scene, the Lord of the universe sitting in the living room of her home and she cannot stop long enough simply to enjoy him. Does this describe anyone you know? If we're all honest with ourselves, we all have some of those workaholic Martha tendencies in each of us. We have a Mary side too, but it's the Martha side that often gets us in trouble. Are you a workaholic? Consider these questions. Do you find it difficult to become involved in activities other than your work? Does doing nothing drive you absolutely bonkers? How do you view hobbies or sports? Are they a should or a must instead of a want to? If you answered yes to each question, the chances are that you have a little problem in this area. If you're not a workaholic, you may be on, well on your way to becoming one. Workaholism is actually not the problem itself. It's a symptom of deeper problems. John Killinger suggests some of the root causes. First, a deep competitive urge, a consuming need to succeed can be a cause. Was Martha cook, cooking up a storm in her kitchen to make sure that Jesus' visit to her house was better than any other visit to any other home in town? We have a lot of that in us, don't we? The best pot roast, the best grade class, 
the best car or the best house in the neighborhood, the most elaborate wedding, the top sales report, anything less is agonizingly, absolutely painful. Is an all-consuming desire to be at the top betraying and interfere that you are unsure and worried about your value as a person? Second, we look next at the need for approval. The desire to be accepted is another root cause of workaholism. Could it be that Martha always thought that her parents liked her sister Mary more than she? It may or may not be justified, but often siblings have these kinds of fears. We see several places in the Bible, the discomforting relationship of the blessed and the unblessed child and the resultant sibling rivalry that never ends. So maybe Martha felt she had to work to gain approval. She had to outdo everyone to be accepted. Ever feel that way about yourself? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Terrible because if you feel this way, all the achievement in the world will not make you necessarily feel any better. Listen to what a president of a large company says. I worked all my life to get where I am, and somewhere along the way I realized I was doing it just so people would like me and approve of me. And now that I am where I am, I never know if they like me for myself or because of my position. Third, another symptomatic cause of workaholism is guilt. Guilt is everywhere. And guilt can be about anything. And how do you make up for your own guilt? You kill yourself working. Work becomes an atonement for having fallen short. Work in this case is seen as a kind of punishment. Is this something that we can see in Martha? She may have been denying herself the pleasure of sitting at Jesus' feet because she felt guilty about something. And then lastly, some suggest that an addiction to work is the result of people feeling that they must somehow immortalize themselves, leaving something behind, their indelible mark in the world, a monument to who they were. This is a kind of search for immortality, isn't it? We're not sure of an afterlife, so we want to erect a monument, a period, a pyramid for posterity to see. Could this be Martha? She was killing herself with work so afterwards she could be remembered? Please don't misunderstand me this morning. My intention is not to depreciate the value of work. I remember the story of a man who died and woke up in the next world. There he was met by an obliging attendant who told him that he had only to wish for something and that it would be placed in his hands. If he wished to play golf, he only had to wish for a golf course and there it was. About a year or after a year or two of this effortless securing of his every wish, he called his attendant and told him that he wanted to wish for something, anything he could not have without working for it. And the attendant replied, I'm very sorry, that's the only wish for which no provision has been made in this place which you are now living. In that case, said the man, I would prefer to go to hell. To which the attendant replied, And where do you think you are? 
You see, God in his grace gives us work. It is a beautiful gift to be used properly. God in his grace gives us work, but our work can never earn us the grace of God. This is the misuse of work. Hilary of Tours taught that every Christian had to be constantly vigilant against what he called irreligioso, solicitudo prodeo, a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. It's Jesus Christ's work, not yours, to give you a feeling of value and self-worth. It's Jesus Christ's work, not yours, to give you approval and a sure feeling of being loved. It's Jesus Christ's work, not yours, to release you from the guilted cage that we can be easily, so easily trapped within. It's Jesus Christ's work, not yours, to give you immortality. Overwork and addiction to work is a result of over-responsibility, overdoing it, doing more than your heavenly job description demands. Isn't this a theme that we constantly hear in Paul's letters? Can we miss the force of this in his words to the Galatians? Paul is writing to spiritual workaholics. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? The long and short of Paul's persuasive arguments is that there are some things that only God can do. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of your works, lest anyone should boast. That's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Does this mean we should become lazy in our faith? Of course not. Once again, hear Paul, this time in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which is in me. What we are is God's gift to us. Now, what we do with those gifts is our gift back to God. Jesus said to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. We can be released from workaholism when we receive the gifts God has given us. We can begin to be released from the addictive, damage, unrelenting work when we understand the work Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Well, back to Martha in the kitchen, distracted by her serving, overdoing it. Mary, on the other hand, at the feet of Jesus, enjoying the presence of God. What can we do to change? Of course, this is a Martha-like question, as if in doing something, we can change. 
The way to change is to stop doing in some areas of our lives. Stop trying to do God's work to personally, personally justify your worth, earning your approval, deserving immortality. Here's a little play on words with the age-old advice. You've heard these words before. Don't just stand there, do something. How about the opposite for those of us who are addicted to constant, never-ceasing or ending work? Don't just do something, stand there. Receive the grace, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and put all your trust into him. Realize who you are and what you've been given by our Lord Jesus Christ before you get to work. And then you will find not only pleasure in your work, but pleasure in your rest, too. There once was a father who came home late one evening, dead tired. He could barely get in the door. He was so bushed. Exhausted, he collapsed, he collapsed on his easy chair to look at the evening paper. Hi, Dad, want to play? He loved his boy, but he was too tired to play at the moment. He needed, for sanity's sake, a little more time for himself. Well, it so happened there had been a recent moon probe, and the newspaper carried a picture of Earth on the front page. This enterprising father picked up a pair of scissors and proceeded to cut that map into pieces. And then he gave this direction to put the puzzle back together with scotch tape. Dad said, you tape it all together, then come back to me and we'll play. Dad eased back in his easy chair, knowing it would take quite a while, some time, to get this homemade puzzle back together. But in less than 10 minutes, the boy was back. It was easy, Daddy, he said. You see, there's a picture of a man on the back of the sheet. And when you put the man together, the world comes together. And so it is with life. When we put the man in his rightful place, it is amazing what can happen to our world. Put Jesus Christ in his rightful place in your work and in your life, and I promise you, it would be absolutely amazing what happens to your world. Let us pray. We need to be asking your forgiveness, Lord, for we have worked when we should have worshiped. We have tried to do your work as well as our own, We've been too busy to sit at your feet. Most of all, we've been hesitant to resign as managers of the universe and let you be Lord and King of our lives. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.